Welcome to episode 41 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Dougherty. Hillary. Hi. This week, girl, put it like, are we done yet? Whoever you follow, your whatever deity, pick your deity. Yes. Have you finished with us yet? Yes. Are we done? I what know- offerings do we need to put at the temples? What what do we need to do to appease yeah. the gods? It's the gods are not happy. They're not. And hey, listen, we've been on, we've been rolling along here, pissing all over them for a long time. Yes. And they're finally saying enough humans yeah. in United States. Really, the United States. Well, the world. The I mean, world. the world's being punished with the pandemic, but. Uh, yeah, no, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away a couple of days ago and this is coming out like a what, few two weeks, weeks later, later, but, yeah. uh, yeah. devastating loss. It's a humongous loss and I, it's hard to, <clears throat> it's hard to mourn and grieve for such an amazing, strong, like brilliant woman. And at the same time, we're in the middle of what is a national crisis with this yes. president and, so and a possible confirmation of right, and uh, so now we have this scary, a potentially moment. terrible, scary, yeah. frightening person to replace this incredible, right, iconic figure. And then I was thinking the other day, yesterday. I mean, this has only been a couple of days <laughs> yeah. for us, but the fact that we can't just mourn this person, right. the fact that she couldn't just, you know, take care of her health mm-hmm. because. She understood the impact of her retirement. Right. It's terrible. Right. It's it's so, so terrible that she just couldn't relax. Right. You know, and then her final words, like, this is what's on your mind? You know what I mean? Of course. And and it's it's like, it's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, it just shows, like, how amazing she is, but it's it's like her family... There, there's all this like just this, like, grief this person, but there's all of this other stuff tied up in it, and that makes me like even more sad. Right, like we can't just mourn and grieve for this person. Now yes. we have to worry about what comes along, what is next. Yes. What's next? That's the first thing I said to my mother when I called her and said, "Did you see this on the news?" And she said, "No." And I told her, and I said, "Now what? Now what? Now, what's going to go on? What's going to happen?" And we were just talking before we got on mic where I, you know, I said, and you were like, how much more? And I said, I don't know. But like, we went to a vigil last night yes. um, here in Fort Lauderdale at the courthouse. Uh, they had, to, they had, we had a vigil for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and it was really nice to see a lot of people we haven't seen since yes. COVID and um, put out candles and flowers and pictures and, and kind of just all, excuse me, all be together. But um, I was thinking when we were all talking that, Hopefully, <laughs> like whatever this is, maybe it'll make the wins that we get in November that much better. That b- despite all of these horrible things that have happened that, that that are going on, that we were able to pull out the wins that we need. Yes. You know? Yeah, we need to flip some Senate seats. Yeah. It's just, I mean, if, if some seats were flipped, if there was a shift of power. Yeah. You know, my husband was saying that if, if that happens... That for four years, they have to pass everything. It just needs to be a blitz of like, who cares about yeah. how the corporations and the rich people feel? Just they have to just have the balls and they have to do it and they have to come hard because four years later, there's the potential of losing again. Well, and so, so that, he's like, it's yes. got to be like, it cannot be this. Let's reach across the aisle. It's got to be like, this is what we want past. And boom, boom. Boom, just do it. Just like railroad all the way through. Yeah. And and if they don't do it, like then we're screwed because that's what they do. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And that's what they should do on the federal level. And if we win, if we win for the next four years, like for the White House, what needs to happen on the party level and on a local, like state and, and, and municipality level is that the parties, the Democratic parties for the state and the, and the, the counties need to use those four years to Find people to run for seats. Yes. Because in the four years, in the two years, there's going to be a midterm somewhere in between yes. all of that. Oh, yeah. Marco Rubio is up in 22. Oh, God, like, that would we, be incredible. We need to... To get rid of him. Yeah. And I think DeSantis is, what, 24? So that'll yeah. be in those four years. We need to make sure that in those four years, we locally... We have to start grooming people. ...have to do it. Yeah. Because in those four years, we can't go, oh, well, who's going... No. No, 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 no. No, we need to know now. Really, they should they should have their eye on some people right now. Yeah. 
And more importantly, in our state, we live in Florida. We live in a red state. And we need to kick some fucking ass here. Yeah. I am We have done. the numbers. We, I was, Kate and I rode together last night. And on the way home, I was telling her, I said, more than anything, like if this, if we don't in the next, this next election, and then in 2022 in midterm, flip one of either the Florida House or the Florida Senate, then I am going to consider getting the fuck out of here. Because yeah. I have to tell you, like, listen, I, we can only fight so much for the people of Florida if they don't come out and fight, we have 600,000 registered Democrats yeah. in Broward. Why are a few handful of people fighting for those 600,000 yeah. people? Or for really for the entire state? We, we can need flip, to come out. We need to, they need we to need be more to, engaged. There, there can't there, be there the only. There needs to be something that, that motivates. Yes. And voters. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to live in Florida in a red state with a bunch of fucking assholes where my kids are exposed to these yes. horrible laws and all of this bullshit and the people. And why? Ugh. Because people are, don't want to become Oh, I don't like politics. Fuck you. It's fucking it affects every part of your life. Yeah, every part of your, I know when you people talk about I was schools just, opening, schools closing. I was this just talking about this it. to my husband. I said to people who say, "Oh, I'm I'm not political." Like the, the roads you drive on, everything you do, everything. every your the house, the wherever you're living, everything is affected by politics. Like, the water you, you drink, about? the water you drink. And listen, I get it. Oh, Politics sucks. I was trying to explain to my daughter what Mitch McConnell's doing and all of the Supreme Court shit and how important elections are. Da, da, da. And she was like, oh, politics is awful. I hate it. And I said, me no, too. you can't hate I it. Know. I know. I said, me too. I said, I really hate it. And I, and I wouldn't pay attention to it if I didn't know how important it was. Right. You know, if I didn't know. I said, and you can be involved and know the candidates and vote for the right people without being as involved. That's yeah. true. No, yeah. You but, can, you, I mean, your vote, that's that's yes. the biggest power that anyone has. And, the, and and that's, for me, more than anything, what, what always I fall back to is that the founding fathers of this country built and wrote the Constitution the way they did because they wanted the people to have the power. Right. That's it, hands down. Well, they and now we are, to- we are under the yoke of really a minority group of people. Like, yes. it is not what the country overall wants. Right. And the Electoral College, you know, why do these bigger states, you know, Texas included, California, mm-hmm. New York, that have like all of the, these large populations yeah. having the same number of votes as some, you know, it was... One set up by, you know, the the plantation owners Mm -hmm. to have power. So it's all stemming out of some horrible groups of people. Right. Why this is even in in place. Right. So, but I don't think, my husband and I were talking about this too, that, that will the electoral college ever change? But you have all of these states that are not going to give up the power of it, that will not vote. Right. To get rid of it. Right. Well, there's got to be a shift. We got to shift. Everything's yeah. got to shift. So if there's the, shifts in, in, in seats, that's the time to like put it forward to try to get yeah. change. But the power always lies with the people. And so if there's only a, per, a very, very, very small percentage of people voting, then this is the world that we have. And we can always go knock on doors and go, hey, are you going to vote? Make calls. Da, da. But if people don't start really participating in this process – then they will continue to do the, and that's why things are the way they are. I know because nobody pays the fuck attention. Nobody's paying attention. I know, and it's not even people who just just regular Joes like you and I who vote. It's actually candidates. We've seen candidates who don't. Uh, they know don't know laws what's going. Yeah, they don't know what's going on. Passed in Florida <laughs> and how important and how it affects people. And that they to give me these, is the craziest thing. Like you're running qu- for yes. office, and it's fucked up. Girl, I can't. I, I know. We need we need what we really need is, you know, more more civic engagement with the youth. Mm. You know, there really should be something, some program, some development so that on an elementary, middle, high school level, like kids really understand like how their city functions and they don't. It's like they might get one class. Yeah. You know? Right. And I don't think that's enough. And and then you have, you know, President Orange. Mm. Wanting to change curriculum about like having a more patriotic curriculum. Yeah, I mean I, it's frightening. I don't it's even talk about. Pa- I don't even want to get in a patriotic. I had uh. a whole fucking thing. At the, the, the I can't even get into it. But it, okay, patriot, patriot, patriot. All I'm going to say is this much. 
Yeah, waving a flag around up and down the street doesn't make you patriotic. No. But kneeling dur- during a, a Star Spangled during the national anthem is fucking patriotic. Yeah. Don't talk to me about what a patriot is. That's yeah. pa- that's the most patriotic fucking thing that someone can do. Our founding that's- fathers wanted us to hold these motherfuckers accountable. Yes. And if that means I stand on one corner and a Trump supporter stands on the other and we're both Fine. like Obama sucks or Trump sucks or Biden, we are allowed to do that. Yes. And we are that's this is a free fucking country and we're allowed to do it. And if somebody wants to kneel during the national anthem god bless go ahead that's what this country is built on we are supposed to be holding these motherfuckers accountable that's what we're supposed to do yes we're allowed to criticize it like uh james baldwin says i the united states i love the united states so much and that's why i find it necessary to criticize every every time something bad like that's what we're supposed to do the fact that no one has criticized for far too long or gotten up and screamed in mass is why we are where we are. Yeah. So everybody better start paying the fuck attention. No, why, why are we talking to our fans this way? I know. Our listeners, they know. You know, we're preaching to the choir. Yes. Girl, all right, let's get into this bullshit. Yes, and I, I can't have to tell wait. you, this podcast doesn't help me have yes. faith in the fucking process. I got every time I start looking at a story, I go, "This another motherfucker." Like I, know. I can't here we take are, it. here we are. Oh my god, it okay. never ends. It doesn't. So I'm going to talk to you about somebody today Ooh. who you'll recognize, girl, you know. Former South Carolina governor, Mark Sanford. You know this. What? You know this guy. Oh, let me buckle up. <laughs> so he's so funny because, you know, everybody knows this the big story, his big scandal. And it was it was hilarious. But there's other things I learned about him I didn't know when he was elected Yay. governor. That was great. And then also he did something recently in 2020 that I'm like, Maybe he's not so bad. Like I kind of like. This guy. like maybe okay, this wait. Is I, we got okay. Now I really need to know what's happening. It's I so need good. to know. Okay, so Marshall Clement Sanford Jr. is his yeah, birth name. Was born in Fort Lauderdale. Which kind of, when you look at him, he's so super tan. He looks like one of these yachting Fort Lauderdale Yacht Club. You know, he looks like one of these guys you see down there. I'm so surprised at this. Yes. And he was here until high school. They they lived but, here. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So his father was a cardiothoracic. Thoracic? Thoracic. I'm not saying that okay. right. Surgeon. A cardio surgeon. Cardio surgeon. Thank <laughs> you. And the family was very well off, right? So he, before his senior year of high school, they moved to this, his uh, with his family from Fort Lauderdale to the 3,000-acre acre Coosaw Plantation near Beaufort, uh, South Carolina. So it's like a family home. Oh. The, oh you, know, you know, the, the plantation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh God! This seems okay. Seems like not a big deal, right? And oh, I'm gonna uh, Stanford attained attain the rank of Eagle Scout and the Boy Scouts of America. That's the highest that you yes. can get. And I have to tell you, the cutest boys I've ever met in my life have were Eagle Scouts. Really? When they start to recite that Boy Scout, whatever it is, the the pledge or the, the boys, ten, yeah, uh, a Boy Scout is it? Honey, it's hot. Are you? Si- st- I think it's. Uh, I don't like, think I really knew. <laughs> Uh, Boy Scouts beyond, you know, like the, the, the smaller troops. No, no. Eagle Scout. They go all the way through. Yeah. And they do 18. big, yeah. And they do big projects. It's actually, yes. you have to do quite a lot to earn. Yes. Um, but very ranking. cute, very cute boys. I always found like, oh. Eagle Scout. when they start re- reciting that thing, I think it's, I think it's just very oh adorable. God. I know. I, I'm going to have to look into this. It's a weird, there's my weird thing. (laughs) Okay, so uh, he received a Bachelor of Arts degree in business from Furman University in 1983 and a Master of Business Administration from Darden Graduate School of Business Administration at the University of Virginia in 1988. He married uh, Jenny Sullivan in November of 1999, I'm sorry, 1989, and they had four sons together. He then founded Norton and Sanford Real Estate Investment, a leasing and brokerage company in 1992. So then he jumps into politics, right? In 1994. They always jump into politics. You know, it's that, you know, he has, you know, even when this whole scandal broke years after this, right? Like he's so cute. There's something very cute about him. He's got this beautiful smile. You know, he's very. The charisma. He's, yeah. The charisma. He's got, there's something there, right? Um He's got, like, if you look a politician in the dictionary, like, that's like the there, picture. there's his face. That big, pearly white <laughs> smile, you know? Mm. So, in 1994, Sanford entered the Republican primary for the Charleston-based 1st Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Despite never having run for office before, Sanford finished second in a crowded primary behind Van Hip Jr., a former George H.W. Bush administration official and former chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party. Um, in 1996 to 1998, Sanford was unopposed by Democratic candidates, so he he ends up winning that seat, and then he ran again. He, he won against um, uh, 
two other people in 1998. So in 2002, just before uh, announcing he would run for governor, Sanford joined the Air Force Reserve. So he, in 2001 was September 11th. Oh, so now he's... He jumps into the Air Force Reserve, right? Like, so back... Yes. Okay. So... uh, then he, so he, he joins in 2002 and then he announces he's going to run for governor right after he enlisted. I know. So he entered the How old was he? Let's see. I'm, I'm just wondering. He had to be pushing 40, no? 2002. Let me see what year he was born. Oh. So 19, he was born in 1960. 60. So 40. Yeah. 42. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they ain't going to hey, be listen, calling I'm him. 42, but I'm not joining no Air Force. No one's looking but for me. But what I'm saying is they're not going to really call him. No, right, right, right. This well, we serve. Yes, 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 honey. That's, yes. of course. Yes, of course it is. So, um, let's see. Okay, so he entered the gubernatorial election of 2002. He first defeated Lieutenant Governor Bob Peeler in the Republican primary and then defeated the Democratic incumbent Jim Hodges in the general election to become the 115th governor of South Carolina. In accordance with South Carolina... Carolina law, Sanford was elected separately from the state's Republican Lieutenant Governor Andrew, I'm sorry, Andre Bauer. Sanford and Bauer's wins gave the Republicans full control of state government for the first time since Reconstruction. Wow. But we're talking about, you know, Southern Democrats yes. before that. Okay. So in his first term in 2003, after becoming governor, Sanford attended two weeks of training with the Air Force Reserve in Alabama with his unit, the 315th Aeromedical Evacuation Squadron. <laughs> While in training, <laughs> your face is so funny. <laughs> While in training in 2003, Sanford did not transfer power to Bauer, saying he would be in regular contact with his office and would transfer authority in writing only if he were at, called to active duty. So oh. kind of remember that in the back of your head. Yeah. That he feels like it's okay to kind of just go away. Yeah. <laughs> and not be, not be working. I don't know. It seems odd to me, but. It's a little weird. Yeah. Especially if you're training and he's in the Air Force. Like if something happens to him, then there's this limbo where. Yeah. Like, is there a law that says that all the power then goes to, uh, to Bauer? Like, I don't know. It just seems risky or something. Yeah. So Sanford sometimes had a contentious relationship with the South Carolina General Assembly, even though it was dominated by his party for his entire tenure. The Republican-led State House of Representatives overrode 105 of Sanford's 106 budget vetoes in, in 2004. So he would keep, you know, vetoing things and they would come back and override it. As an entire body. Wow. 105 of 106 feet. This is a, I mean, so now this is like, they're just. Yeah. And I guess when he was a house rep. This seems very contentious. Yes. And so when he was a house rep, he would, he was very, he was always about like being frugal with the money. Like he would, you know, so that's kind of what was happening with the budget when he was then governor. So the following day after they vetoed all of these, his, his budget cuts, Sanford brought live pigs who subsequently defecated on the House floor into no. the House chamber as a visual protest against, quote, pork projects. I mean, I, I don't hate this. I know, but it's funny, right? <laughs> yes. Could you imagine the governor walks in, he's got two fucking pigs, like, oh walking my God. in? What in the hell, man? Is so, it the- <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, Sanford- what is going on? And this is, like, in the 2000s. Yes, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, San- what, what is... <laughs> This is why we're all doomed. I know. Sanford rejected the assembly's entire budget on June 13th, 2006. Had this veto stood, the state government would have shut down on July 1st. He explained his veto as being the only way to get the cuts he deserved and that using the line item veto would have been inadequate as well as impossible. However, in a special session the following day, both houses dismissed Sanford's call for reform by overriding his veto, effectively restoring their original budget. Sanford's first term included other controversies. A Time Magazine article in November 2005, critical of Sanford, said that some, quote, fear his thrift has brought the state's economy to a standstill, end quote. Wow. He's like, I'm just trying to save some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, to what end, (laughs) right? According to SurveyUSA, Sanford's approval ratings ranged from 47 to 55 percent during 2006. So... The 2006 election. Now he's going to be reelected, right? Yeah. His campaign for reelection in 2006 began by Sanford winning the June 13th Republican primary. On election day, Sanford was not allowed to vote in his home precinct because he did not have his voter registration card. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
I'm only bringing this up because it's like they want to hold everybody yeah. accountable and they fucking him too, yeah. right? So he was obliged to go to a voter registration office to get a new registration card. And he said, I quote, quote, I hope everybody else out there is as determined as I was as to vote as I was today. He said, Sanford's driver's license had a Columbia address, but Sanford was trying to vote at his home precinct. It's in Sullivan's Island where that plantation was. Oh. According to WAGT in Augusta, Georgia, who also covers parts of South Carolina, they declared that it would be his, that Sanford said he declared it would be his last campaign. Oh, okay. I feel like, you know, famous last words. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. His Democratic competitor in the November elections was state Senator Tommy Moore, who Sanford beat by 55 to 45 percent. So in his second term um, in the in dissent with the Republican Party of South Carolina, Sanford opposed the faith based license plates his state had off was offering marketed largely to the state's conservative even evangelical citizens. OK, so I looked up these <sighs> plates and. Please. They basically have, you know how we have like, you can get a Florida license plate and it has like a little, like a team logo or whatever. Or like oranges or manatee. This has in that place, it has three crosses and like for like, and then it has like a sun rising above it. And I looked up on the South Carolina DMV and it's called the I Believe plate. Oh God. And it says, quote, the biennial fee for the plate is $25 every two years in addition to the regular registration fee. Proceeds from the sale of this plate are used to support faith-based educational and religious programs. No. Separation so, of church and state, yeah, people. Like that. You can't have that. Right. So that money is then getting funneled from the state to... Yeah. No. The, yeah. No. So no. Um, he said, so after allowing the law to pass without his signature, he wrote, quote, it is my personal view that the largest proclamation of one's faith ought to be in how one lives his life. So I don't even know if it was really about... The church and state. Yeah, he's, he just oh, oh, maybe he doesn't like, like, oh, you're showing off your faith. Like, yeah, like, it, yeah it's maybe a symbol. It, it sounds like it's about separation of church and state, right? Yeah. Like, he's he doesn't want to have, but that's that's outrageous. Yeah. That's no, crazy. I can't, they, they can't do that. Mm. Then, then, fine, you want to do it, then pay some taxes. Well, here you You yeah. know how much Why money we, we would be yeah. getting in if all of these yes. churches had to pay taxes and like if you want to buy a license plate that that money goes to find your local church and give them the money to yeah. get there to get the the services that they need why are you going through the state to do that yeah. why does the state have to be involved no, in that i don't like this at all <sighs> after the passage of the american recovery and reinvestment act of 2009 known as the stimulus remember yes which oh, i do yeah stanford strongly opposed and and publicly criticized before and after its passage by Congress and presidential signing. Sanford initially indicated he might not accept all of the funds allotted by the spending law uh, to South Carolina, which was going to be $700 million. We also had a pretty motherfucking shitty guy. Rick Scott refused to take the money. Yeah. Look where we are. He was criticized. Me too. He was criticized by many. (laughs) He was criticized by many Democrats and some moderate Republicans, both in his state and outside his state who noted South Carolina's 9.5% unemployment rate, which was one of the highest in the country at the time, and complained that Sanford was not doing enough to improve economic conditions in his state, which could be alleviated by taking the stimulus money. Yeah, just money. take the money. On March 11, 2009, Sanford became the, became the first United States governor to formally reject a portion of the federal stimulus money earmarked by Congress for the state of South Carolina. Sanford compromised to accept the federal money on condition that the state legislature provide matching funds to pay down the South Carolina state debt. Now, does that make any fucking sense what no. I just said? Why would the South Carolina have to match money from the federal? What are you talking about? No. It's their debt. Oh, my God. Mother stupid fuck. Pigs. Bring them pigs yeah, into the state house. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So here we go. Well, you're so concerned about money. Take the money. Yeah, right. Well, he doesn't constituents. Like, right. Well, he doesn't like that they were bailed. Of course. The bailout. Remember, bailout, yeah. bailout, bailout. Well, maybe they should have used a different term. Meanwhile, he's living on, high on the hog. Right. Uh, at the plantation. Give me a break. Piece of shit. Okay. So, in mid-June. Ooh. You got these songs in your head all, all the time. All the time. I, my son listens to them 24-7. <laughs> so, in mid-June 2009, Governor Mark Sanford went missing. Dun, dun, dun. That's what I just was going on in my head when you just said that. I was oh, going, really? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So the whereabouts of Governor Sanford were unknown to the public, including his wife and his security staff, from June 18th until June 24th, 2009. Where did he go? 
The absence, Maybe his little tan. He's got a nice tan. <laughs> the absence of Governor Sanford was first reported by Jim Davenport of the Associated Press. The six-day disappearance garnered nationwide news coverage. Of course. His state and personal phones were turned off, and he did not respond to phone or text messages. That prompted some to believe that he was missing and raised questions about who was acting as governor of South Carolina. Right? Like, who's, who's running this fucking show? Like, who's doing it? So his wife, Jenny Sanford, initially stated that she was not concerned and that he needed time away from their children to write something. What? What's he? It, it, is he going to go write some songs about how terrible everything is? Is yeah. he going to go write his memoir? I have no idea. Writing an email? He's Listen, writing. He, he What? I have what? no idea. He's got to go write something? This is probably If she would have just her. said he needs some time away from the children, full stop, like, fine. But to yeah. go write something? I know. What are you writing? I don't know. I don't know. But that, that probably is what they said. They probably yeah, like, were like, well, what? Yeah. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Sanford has apparently made similar disappearances in the past, but although this was his longest. Like, again, remember he left to do the training yes. and then he disappeared. He would disappear all the time. But you he's know? shutting off his state phone. Like, it's one yeah. thing if you want to shut off your personal phone. Right. Like, I got, I can't have my wife calling me. Right. But you got to keep the state. I mean, yeah. you're the governor. Right. Of a state. Right. This is the job you ran for. Yes. You wanted And if to there's an twice. emergency, if there's some issue, like, yes. they have to be able to reach you. Yeah. <laughs> so when the phone is shut off, is that the same as a phone being dead? Like, can they still try to ping it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. That didn't happen. So I don't oh, know. Maybe. Maybe but they maybe can't they ping it when it's off, right? Because then there's no oh, signal. Yeah. Right, right, right. So after media speculation grew, Sanford's office on um, June 22nd stated that he told them where he was he was going before he left and that he would be, quote, difficult to reach. Later that day, Sanford spokes, spokesman Joel Sawyer told the press that Sanford was hiking the Appalachian Trail. So, I mean, you could go hiking, but... Yeah. but- in the middle of like session in the middle of like it was almost like a throwaway it was like here's here's where he is yeah this is what he's doing i know but i feel like when you're governor yeah you can't just like go on vacay no when you feel like it like there's set times in the year right for you to there's no session yeah that's what that's what i mean so right oh i'm just gonna go hiking no he could be eaten by a bear at this point i mean they don't know right which is why everybody's like, well, he's on the Appalachian Trail and you haven't yeah. talked to him in six days. Something yeah, must maybe, be wrong. Yeah, something must be wrong. Right. Maybe he's writing poetry. Maybe he's <laughs> maybe he's writing essays like Emerson. He's gone to the woods. Oh, honey, no? please. Okay. So, <laughs> Lieutenant, so some South Carolina p- politicians voice concerns about the governor's behavior. Lieutenant Governor Andre Bauer announced that he could not, quote, take lightly that his staff had not has had has has not had communication with him for more than four days and that no one including his own family knows his whereabouts end quote the senate minority leader democratic john democrat john land also questioned the fact that sanford was absent over the father's day weekend arguing that quote it's one thing for the boys to go off by themselves but on father's day to leave your family behind that's erratic end quote well you know what he's right yeah. If you're supposed to be, you know, you're this family man, I'm sure. Right. There was some family values language thrown around somewhere with this guy. Yeah. So on June 23rd, spokesman Sawyer reported that Sanford had contacted his staff that morning after apparently being out of touch with them for five days and expressed surprise at all the attention to his absence. Sawyer announced that the governor had decided to return to work the next day. Oh, well, that was so nice of him. Yeah. So everyone's like where were you yeah, by the way everybody's looking for you everybody wants to know what the fuck everybody yeah. in the nation is yes. asking where are you the governor of south carolina is missing oh my god this yeah. is so you're you're on a milk carton yeah we can't find you right. anywhere <laughs> right so on june 24th Stanford arrived at hartsfield jackson atlanta international airport at 5 43 a.m on delta airlines flight 110 from buenos aires argentina Ooh, he got that tan mm. He was met at the airport by only one reporter, the state's Gina Smith, who had received a tip that the governor was in Argentina and on a, quote, hunch, went to the Atlanta airport to meet a flight arriving from Argentina. Now, the only tip this is coming from has got to be from either the wife or the staff. Right, like probably the staff. I don't think the wife would leak to a reporter. Uh, this lady, unless, yeah, unless we'll get into this. unless she's like, I'm, yeah. "That's it. I'm done with this guy. Right. I'm going to blow it up." So somebody in those two, one of those two camps, like totally fucking good. Like, yeah. So he gave her. And there she is. I yeah, love that he waiting. comes off. Yeah. Ugh. So he gave her a brief sit down interview wherein he claimed that he was not alone for the entire trip and did not give any details other than he drove the coastline. 
Samford said that he was considering hiking the Appalachian Trail, but at the last minute decided to do something, quote, exotic, which is incredibly insane when you think about what he was doing there. Yeah, so I've got, okay, um, you you know, you're going to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Like, you Mm -hmm. need, you know, are you... You, you need your tenting gear. You need, you know, you need stuff. But of all the places, you need to your go shoes, to. and then you're just gonna, oh, on yeah, a whim. Now, now you're 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 packing for that's a whole different type of yes travel. Yes, give me a break. So Sanford, and you don't tell your wife. You know what? You are too much of a journalist, like investigative journalist. This is what you think. <laughs> this woman was sitting there going, "Well, where's your gear? Where's your... no?" She's just like clicked record right yeah. and started <laughs> give me as much information yeah. as i can get right now so he of course he doesn't have his story together like he's like oh no i will argentina who the fuck's going to argentina yeah. like on a whim either on a whim it's Except weird it you, but you need your whim. passport you know yeah, and no. be like wait a minute and like, it wasn't right like it wasn't it wasn't on a whim at all he no. had of course planned this whole thing so sanford said he redeemed an award ticket on delta Airlines sky miles oh, frequent flyer on. program when asked why his staff and was said he was hiking sanford replied i don't know he later said, in fairness to his staff, he had told them he might be he might do such hiking, right? So Sanford said he cut his trip short after his chief of staff, Scott English, told him his trip was gaining a lot of media attention and he, he needed to come back. So these events prompted Republican State Senator Jake Knotts to comment, lies, lies, lies. That's all we get from his staff. That's all we get from his people. That's all we get from him, end quote. Ooh. Yeah. Several hours after arriving back in the United States, Sanford held a press conference where he admitted that he had been unfaithful to his wife. Well, here we go. I mean, who's going to Argentina? Honey. Father's Day weekend. (laughs) Bye. He told reporters that he had developed a relationship with an Argentinian woman whom he had met a little over eight years ago, very innocently, and that the relationship had turned romantic about a year before. Jenny Sanford had been made aware of his infidelities in January 2009, so this is six months earlier, after discovering a letter that Sanford had written to this Argentinian woman. Oh, maybe that's what she's like. Oh, he's going to write a letter. Right. Yeah. Oh, maybe she was doing <laughs> she, some listen, shade this, right there. This lady, she's got maybe, her shit to yeah, like, maybe, she, she don't play this lady. Maybe that was a little shade. Yeah. By so, adding that little tidbit maybe. in. Maybe. So in um, emotional interviews with the Associated Press over two days, Mark Sanford said that he would die, quote, knowing that he had met his soulmate. Oh, uh, c- come on. Okay. This is like he got crazy. Like he started yeah. to like start saying a little bit too much. You too know, much information. He needs to go. Yeah, so Sanford acknowledged... And his wife's got to listen to this? I know. Sanford, oh, no. Well, they had separated at the time, which I'll get into. They were, okay. they, like, two weeks before this, they had separated, which I think was why he was like, I'm coming to Argentina, because he was he was finally, like, a little bit freer to, like, start... Oh, ex- so they didn't... Know. So, okay, but did the media know that no. they were separated? No, Oh, so knew. now she's got to... So, she, so they're that's separated. Why she's like, I don't know where this motherfucker is, and yeah. she can't really talk about... He went about, to go write a letter. That's yeah, what he did. did oh, I did. love her. Yeah. Sanford acknowledged secretly meeting Maria Shapur five times in 2009, including two multi-nights stays, one in New York City and one in the Hamptons, paying expenses in cash to avoid detection. Sanford um, also said that he, quote, crossed the lines with a handful of other women during 20 years of marriage, but not as far as he did with the woman in Argentina. That, quote, there were a handful of instances wherein I crossed the lines I shouldn't have crossed as a married man, but never crossed the ultimate line, end quote, he said. Oh, come on. Can you imagine this spilling all this bullshit? So the early history of the relationship between Maria uh, Shapur and Sanford was not publicly known until 2009. In 2001, Shapur and Sanford met at an open air dance in Uruguay. The couple met again at a New York bistro in 2004. Two other meetings in New York occurred later, one with Sanford accompanied by a spiritual advisor with the knowledge of his wife like as if he was bringing the spiritual advisor to meet with maria i was like oh she really needs my help like some bullshit story oh my god yeah. according to just reports, to try to see her yes that's a- so weird i know according to reports from sanford the two first had sex in 2008 during an economic development trip to S- S- sanford made to argentina oh so maybe they he- were like flirting and like liked each other all those years right. but it didn't really start to happen until 2008 what is she thinking who? This woman. Who knows? Well, they're soulmates, Tina. Yeah. What the fuck? You know, no. you can't help uh, soulmates. I know, I guess. It's the universe. <laughs> it's bringing them together. And really, soulmates is, I had to wait eight years to fuck this woman. Yes. Like, all of that time. Building I had to up wait. the yes. anticipation. What is going to happen when I enter yes. this woman's vagina? <laughs> She's my soulmate! You piece of shit. Uh, Meanwhile, your wife's at home with four fucking kids on yes. a plantation. 
asshole. So the aftermath with his marriage, Jenny Sanford said that she requested a trial separation about two weeks before his disappearance. After telling Vogue magazine that her husband was having, quote, a midlife crisis, (laughs) Sanford's wife, Jenny, moved out of the South Carolina governor's mansion with the couple's four sons returning to the family home on Sullivan's Island. On December 11th, 2009, she announced that she was filing for divorce, calling it a quote, sad and painful process, end quote. The divorce was finalized in March 2010. A stipulation within the divorce papers required that while on the Sanford's family Cousaw plantation, quote, no airplanes will be flown at children, end quote. The papers also, let's hold on, hold that thought Wait. for a second. The papers also noted that Sanford liked to, quote, unwind by digging holes on the property with his hydraulic excavator. <laughs> so this is she literally had to put in the divorce papers that when he was with the children he would he couldn't make paper airplanes and fly them at the children like that's something that he did on a regular basis that's so odd and that's the other thing he did to unwind he would take a huge excavator and And dig dig holes holes. also like let's not throw paper airplanes at our kids heads okay that's so just sounds like such a jerk yeah you know yeah there's something going on there some sort of just nasty yeah weird you know, it's mean it's, it's odd yes those poor kids oh listen so in august 2012 samford became engaged to maria shapur the engagement was subsequently broken off in september 2014 Ooh, did she break it off or did he i don't know i guess they're not soulmates anymore i guess not um so his career after the his affair was revealed in june 2009 samford said there's quote there's been a lot of speculation and innuendo on whether or not public money was used to advance my admitted unfaithfulness. To be very clear, no public money was ever used in connection with this, end quote. After a Freedom of Information Act request was filed, Sanford eventually chose to reimburse taxpayers for his expenses he had incurred one year earlier with his lover in Argentina. Oh, come on. He said, quote, I made a mistake while I was there in meeting with the woman who I was unfaithful with, unfaithful to my wife with. That was that has raised some very legitimate concerns and questions. And as such, I'm going to reimburse the state for the full cost of the Argentina Argentina leg of this trip, end quote. Yeah. Of course you are. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But then like lies and says there was no tax funds. And then after the f- information. Of, of course they're going to find it. Oh my God. On August 9th, 2009, the AP reported that Sanford may have violated state law by other, by other inappropriate use of state planes, including use of a state plane to get a haircut. You know, well, the, the one, you can't go down the street to get a haircut. Yeah. Two. Like just the environmental impact right. of using a plane Girl. to just get a haircut. Good point. Come yes. on. Good point. Good point. Come on. Like, why are you too good to go to fucking supercuts? Oh my super God. Cuts? Go to supercuts, man. And you're not, nobody cares who the fuck you are. Literally can walk into a supercut. You can and walk, Nobody would know who you and, are. I mean, especially, I mean, like men, their haircuts aren't as. Yeah. It's really five minutes. Or my my husband just did his hair in the bathroom before I came here, and cut it with the clippers. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. g- get over it. Yeah. God, oh, he's, he is very pretty though. I mean that hair. He's very handsome. He needs a good haircut, Tina. Well, that's why he found his soulmate in Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> my soul soulmate is so dumb too. <laughs> I know. You shut the fuck up already about it. Soulmate. Nobody cares. So on August twenty fifth, two thousand nine, state representatives Nathan Ballantyne and Ga- Gary Simrell met with Sanford and warned him that the state legislature would impeach him if he did not resign. Ballantyne, an ally of Sanford, said afterward, quote, I told him the writing is on the wall. He could put an end to it all. But if he doesn't, members of the House will take things into their hands. End quote. Sanford declined to resign. On August 28th, the Washington Washington Times reported that Republican legislatures... Legislators in South Carolina, Carolina were, quote, laying plans, end quote, for a special legislative session on whether to impeach Sanford. Two bills of impeachment were pre- being prepared. They had bipartisan support in the state legislature. Um, on October 23rd, two impeachment resolutions were introduced but were blocked by Democrats in the sta- state care- South Carolina legislature. A month later, the resolution was, unsuccess- was, was successfully introduced and was announced that an ad hoc committee would begin drafting articles of impeachment starting on November 24th. Meanwhile, the Ethics Commission formally charged the governor with 37 violations. On December 3rd, during its third public hearing on the matter, the ad hoc committee unanimously voted to drop the vast majority of charges from the investigation, saying that they did not warrant, quote, overturning an election. Mm. 
On December 9th, the committee voted six to one against impeachment. However, they did vote unanimously to censure the governor. On the 16th, the full House Judiciary Committee voted 15 to 6 for censure, formally ending the process. Among the reasons given for the decision not to remove Sanford from office included the fact from his, that his governorship was going to expire in any, of, in any event come January 2011, because he wasn't going to run again, and the fact that Andre Bauer, um, who was the lieutenant governor, was seen to be a rival to others with serious interest in obtaining the 2010 Republican nomination for governor. Mm. Okay, so he's out, right? So he's out of office. He's not running again for governor, doing his own thing, right? But in December 2012, CNN reported that Sanford was considering a bid to retake his congressional seat. <sighs> On December 22nd, 2012, Sanford sent an email to supporters confirming rumors that he intended to run for Congress in 2013. Come on. Sanford formally launched Go his bid away. for Congress in early 2013. He quickly became a front runner in a crowded <sighs> field of 16 Republicans because of his name recognition, right? On his name recognition. <laughs> because he fucked somebody instead of being on the Appalachian yes. Trail. Okay. Uh, not for good things. Yeah. Um, and pigs, I guess, maybe. So on... April I still 2nd, like the pig thing. <laughs> on April 2nd, 2013, Sanford won his Republican House primary runoff against Curtis Bostick, a former Charleston County councilman. On April 17th, 2013, the National Republican Congressional Committee pulled resort from, re support from the Sanford campaign in the wake of revelations that Jenny Sanford his ex-wife, had filed a trespassing complaint against him on February 4th. According to the camp complaint, Jenny Sanford had caught her former husband sneaking out of her home in Sullivan's Island without her knowledge of his presence using a cell phone as a flashlight. What? Under the terms of the divorce agreement, ne neither Mark nor Jenny Sanford may come to the to the other's house without permission. Of a course. condition Jenny Sanford alleged that Mark S Sanford had flouted on numerous occasions, despite Jenny Sanford filing a no trespass letter with the Sullivan Islands Police Department. In a statement, Mark admitted that he had gone to the house to watch the second half of the Super Bowl with his well son. He claimed he, to have tried to contact Jenny beforehand, but was unable to do so. Jenny Sanford filed the complaint the next morning. Several Republican operatives said that they were upset Sanford had known about his complaint for some time and failed to disclose it. Sanford was endorsed by, listen to this, Freedom Works, South Carolina, oh, uh, Freedom Works, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, U.S. Representative and House Speaker John Boehner, State Senator Thomas, Tom Davis, South Carolina State Treasurer Thomas Ravenel, uh, ben, a, a perennial candidate, Ben Frazier, former U.S. representative from Texas, Ron Paul, former uh, U.S. senator from Kentucky, Rand, Rand Paul. On May 1st, 2013, U.S. senator and former U.S. representative Tim Scott and U.S. senator Lindsey Graham both endorsed Sanford. Oh, my God. Give me a break with this guy. But look at the names. I mean, are we surprised? I know. Pornographer Larry Flint also endorsed him, saying, quote, oh. his open embrace of his, I'm going to say mistress, but I don't want to use that, name, that, that word anymore, but Larry Flint says mistress, in the name of love, breaking his sacred marriage vows was an act of bravery that has drawn my support, end quote. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, On May 7th, 2013, Sanford was God. once again... On May 7th, 2013, Mark Sanford was once again elected to the U.S. House of Representatives with 54% of the vote, okay. defeating economist and author Elizabeth oh. Colbert Bush, sister to Stephen Colbert. Oh. Yes, his sister was running for office. Oh. She's a like a... And a teacher, she's amazing. So Sanford was unopposed for re-election in 2014. And in 2016, Sanford won re-election against a Democratic nominee. So he's been re-elected three times since then. During his 2018 election, Sanford was criticized by President Donald Trump via Twitter for being, quote, very unhelpful <laughs> and, quote, nothing but trouble. Hours before polls closed on the day of the June 12th uh, Republican primary, Trump also endorsed State Representative Katie Arrington as the Republican nominee for Sanford's seat. Arrington defeated Sanford in the Republican primary by garnering 50.5% of the vote. Wow. So Trump got behind his opponent in yeah. the Republican. That's crazy, right? Yeah. So Ugh. after Very unhopeful. Loss, yeah. After Ugh. his loss, the New York Times wrote, quote, Mark Sanford of South Carolina found out the hard way in his surprise primary defeat that having a conservative voting record is less important than demonstrating total loyalty to Mr. Trump. And you know what? Good. I'm glad he didn't 
present total loyalty. Yes. At least there, there's something there. Yeah. On November 6, 2018, Democrat Joe Cunningham was elected as his successor, defeating Arrington in an upset election. So the Democrat took the seat that Sanford had had for all those years. Yes. Against the Republican nominee because Trump had, you know, like yes, Trump getting involved now got a Democrat elected. Good. Yeah. Sanford Keep began, getting involved, Trump. Yeah, so he began teaching as a fel- a teaching fellow at the University of Chicago Institute of Come Politics on. after the 2018 election. Come on, you Chicago! So here's a short little you end. Chicago. Here's a short little end to the whole thing, which why I'm kind of like, all right, well maybe he's not so bad. On July 16, 2019, Samford confirmed that he was interested in challenging Trump for the presidency in the t- in 2020, citing quote his alarm over the nation's finances as a reason to do so. On September 18, 2019, he formally launched his campaign and declared his candidacy for the Republican nomination on Fox News Sunday. So here's this guy, right? He's like, I don't care. I'm going up against yes! you. Yes, because he's a Republican yeah. trying to get this fucking piece of shit out of White House. So I'm yeah. kind of like, all right, well, here's at least one guy. Now he's yeah. got a shitty background. Now he's all right. crazy. But he's fucking trying. I love that it's his fiscal conservatism yeah, that he's, he's, he's angling get, with. He's trying to get Trump <laughs> it's out something, It's something. It's something. He has some balls. Two months later, he yeah. suspended his campaign. I mean, what but are you going to do? He tried to do something to get this guy out. But that's Mark Sanford. You know, come I on. I love it. He's a one of a kind, this guy. And he's very uh, handsome. I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the good looks I think really do come into play when you never people are know. running for office. They do for sure. You never know. All right, all right. Today I'm going to tell you the story of the Ori sisters. Okay. The Ori sisters were three successful political sisters. Jane served as Pennsylvania state senator. Joan sat on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, Dang. and Janine worked as her sister Joan's judicial aide. Oh, my goodness. But Uh-oh. when a letter leads to an investigation, their success story becomes a tragedy. Oh, no. Ooh. Dang it, ladies. I know. Our story takes place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh-oh. That's where I'm from. I was going to say, that sounds familiar. Yes, so it's my city. Um, it takes place in the early 2000s. Um, I love the Berg. I miss well, the Berg. I gotta tell you, I've never been there. My, uh, my husband's family, his dad's side is from Philadelphia. Oh, that's Philadelphia. like, yeah, way that's other it. side. So, but Pittsburgh, am I wrong or am I thinking Promonti Brothers sandwich yes, with the yes. big stacked French fries? Yes. In so fucking good. Uh, the original. Yes. Have you had it here? They have Promonti's here. I've had it here. It's not the same as there. Okay. All right. Um, but. I have had it here, but it's definitely not the same. What about the um, Berg? The other thing about the Berg is the Strip, okay. um, which is like this. It, they've got like little shops and stuff. There's this uh, place. It's called Woolies. <laughs> it's this old place, and they make these fish sandwiches. So whenever we would go back, we'd always go to Woolies for a fish sandwich. Nice. And they have one of my favorite museums ever in Pittsburgh. It's the Andy Warhol Museum. <gasps> oh, my god! And on the second floor, yes. it's all of this like old... Um, Talking Heads, B-52s, oh. all this old stuff oh from those God. bands. It's, I would it, fucking, it's incredible. Tina, stop. I'm going. Now you I'm have going to, to go. Oh my it's God. a little museum uh, in, in uh, downtown, but it, it, I love it. Yeah. So before I go into some details, uh-huh. I want to give you a bit of their background. So all three were born in Pittsburgh, and they were raised in a devoted Catholic family. And I'm going to start with Jane because she was the one who was busted first, and she is uh, was the state senator. And okay. so even though she's younger than um, Joan. But Jane Ory completed her law degree from Duquesne University in 1987. She worked in a private law practice and then ran and won for a state house seat in 1997, where she served until 2001 mm. when she won a state senate seat. So nice. she was involved in politics for quite a while. Her sister, Joan Ori Melvin, also earned her law degree from Duquesne University, but she got hers in 1981 because she's the older sister, mm-hmm. and she worked in a private law practice until, uh, until her appointment to the Pittsburgh Municipal Court in 1985, where she served as a magistrate. And then according to her Wikipedia page, she started Pennsylvania's first domestic violence court. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And she uh, later was appointed and then retained uh, a judgeship via election on the Court of Common Pleas in Allegheny County. And then 
Uh, she won a seat on the Pennsylvania Superior Court in 1997 and retained her seat in 2007. And in 2009, she was elected to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So she had a very long judicial history. That's awesome. All right. So from this point out, um, when I refer to Ori, I mean Jane Ori, and the sister is Ori Melvin okay. because she has the married last name, and yes. that way it's easier. Yes. yes. Um, but then there's the last sister, Janine. She worked as a judicial clerk for Ori Melvin on the okay. Superior Court and then moved with Ori Melvin um, to when she got elected to the Supreme Court. She moved as a judicial clerk with her sister wow. there. So wow. she's involved yeah. as well. So all three women have these careers in politics, which I think is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little weird that it's, you know, Jane, Joan, and Janine. I was going to say, these J it's names just, are driving me it's, crazy. It's a little weird, but, yeah. you know, some of the parents like to do that. Yeah. And they all have this, like, sort of blonde hair. And this is taking place in the 2000s, but they have this. Oh, no. Th- this. These bangs oh, at the no. top of well, their head because they're from the eight because they they hang yes out. it's so, yeah they still have the eighties poop yes bang. you can see yeah yeah and you can lots tell, of lipstick yes and you can tell sometimes from lady what the hairdo looks like you can see yes. these women in the grocery store and you know you know what they were hair. about yes they were in high school in the eighties they hang on to yes. that feathered hair they honey. are holding on good for you one of them reminded me of Patsy. From absolutely oh. fabulous, <laughs> Sweezy, darling, Sweezy. And I just, um, then I just started looking up everything AbFab afterwards because there's this one picture that she just, I was like, oh, Lord. Um, so the major incident. In 2010, when Jane gets in trouble, she's working as the Senate Majority Whip for the Republicans, mm. which is a really powerful position. Yeah. And an investigation found that she was using state paid staff to work on her reelection campaigns, Mm. which of course, like you can't do like, this is the big thing that they did was they were having their state employees do all of this campaign work, which Mm. is complete conflict of interest. Like you cannot do that. So that was sort of their big crime, but she's also accused of presenting forged defense documents during her first trial that ended up leading to a mistrial. And she got in trouble for that too. And I think they said that, um, one of the reports I read said that the document forgery was so bad that even Ray Charles could tell that it was Dang. a fake. Yeah, like, oh my God. But this was when she was still a lawyer? Or when, no, no, it, no. Was she's she, a, when she was elected? No, no. This is, yeah, no. This is 2010. She's a state senate. No, what you just said for like a, a trial. Yeah, when she goes to trial for this crime. Oh my God, she's, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. She's presenting d- Got like it. evidence. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. So similarly, Joan and Janine get busted after an investigation finds of campaign corruption for them too. And no. like Jane, they were accused of using her own staff, the the uh, Supreme Court staff, as well as the senator staff for her campaigning. Oh so they're using God. both staffs, uh, which not good. No. So information came out at the end of Jane's trial that ends up suggesting the corruption oh, for Joan. No. And so like, they're all sort of in it together. And at the time there were calls for her to resign as a judge. And as reported by Tom Infeld of the Philadelphia inquirer, representative limb marks of the legal watch dog group, Pennsylvanians for modern courts said, we think that justices, and especially Supreme Court justices should not be permitted to judge others while under the cloud of such a serious investigation. Mm. So they really wanted her to pull. And another report I read said that she tried to use like sort of her position as the court, as the Supreme Court saying like, uh, I think the Supreme Court should say like, I can't be tried on this or something. Mm. They're like, you can't do that. Like you can't try to use your office to get you out of a crime that you committed. Oh God. So the way things went down, The USA Today article outlines that in an effort to help Joan, Jane wrote a letter on stationery from Joan's office. So the Senator Jane Ory is using the Supreme Court, Pennsylvania Supreme Court letterhead, Mm -mm. writing a letter on it, right, um, to a, a, a group of nuns asking those nuns to vote for her sister, Joan. So because it's coming on the letterhead of the Supreme Court and it's suggesting that like the Supreme, like that office is yeah. sort of saying, hey, vote and you cannot do that. Like the state office. Why would she do that? Yeah, it's. It, the, Did the sister, the, the judge know that the sister was doing that? 
Yes, they're all in it together. Why would they think that? Why would in the in right. what fucking universe does that judge think that that's something that's okay? Yeah. Well, it was the state senator. Well, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, it's she her let her letterhead. Take the yes, letterhead. Yes. So what happens is they get wind that people like talked about this letter, and so they write another letter, like a same letter, but not on the stationery, and try to send that out to say no that that's the letter that we sent. Okay. To try to like yes recover from all of this. Um, but there was an intern that ends up blowing the whistle on this entire thing. Yeah, because you know what? They're going to blame that intern. Yeah. So the intern, according to WPXI News, this staffer named Audrey uh, Rasmussen noted that in, in trial, she said that after hearing about a polit- political corruption scandal called Bonusgate, where funds were being used inappropriately, she realized that similar things were happening with Senator Ori. Mm. And she starts freaking out because she's like, Oh I think God. this is what we're doing. Oh, no. So she told a higher up. So the higher up decides instead of like, oh, we're not supposed to be doing this. They take all the financial info that was on the computers. They start dumping it on jump drives. Like they're like starting to like clear everything off mm. of their work computers because they've been doing this. And it was for years. It wasn't like just one election. They've been reelected, reelected. They've been doing it. For a long time, like every time there's an election, having people work on their elections. And that's pretty crazy. So they get all the stuff on to the jump drives. And um, do you think that they knew what they were doing while they were doing it or they moved it? So this intern wouldn't see it anymore, but they knew when they were, they were aware. They of had that, to know. Right? They have to know campaign rules. There's just no way that they I don't mean, know. come on. Come on. So, I mean, clearly... I feel like now you're really confirming things for yes, this intern because yes. she's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, wait, what's, go- what's going on? <laughs> so she also testified that she would spend 25 to 40 percent of her day being paid by the state to work on campaign related <gasps> items. Dang. And if there was an upcoming fundraiser, that would jump to 75 percent of her time. So she's not doing state work. She's only doing campaign work. I really don't understand that they don't have yeah. enough people they can hire. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, that's the thing. That like, work? look at all the people that we volunteer. Like, it's one, yeah. it's really hard to get volunteers. That's true. It but- would be so nice to sit and have your staff do the work for you, but they know that's not right because right. you know all the work goes into a campaign. Yeah. Give me a break. But you got to have, you know that there's people available to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, there would be people. someone that would do it. Yes. Yeah. So in addition to all of that, allegedly Ori snuck documents out of her office, this is the senator, and out of the trash to hide what she was doing. And that is sort of where like the evidence tampering charges come mm. in because now she's really, wow, you know, trying to, so she knows she's doing something wrong. Right. If you're digging in the trash, you're doing oh, something wrong. Man. So essentially Ori Melvin, the judge, is using publicly funded staff to work on her election campaigns. And other things she was accused of, having state employees drive her around to campaign stumps. (laughs) They wrote her speeches. They worked at the polls for her. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, man. I mean, I don't know. Not cool. No. So during Jane's trial, what I thought was really interesting, according to Joe Mandake's article in Go Erie News, the DA, uh, there was this district attorney, Zappella, he used her sister, Judge Ori Melvin's words against her. So Senator Jane Ori is up and he quotes from her sister, Joan, when she was elected to the Supreme Court. The court's only armor is the cloak of public trust. Its sole ammunition is the collective hope of our society. And so he uses that as a statement of like, you know, this is why we have to go after people. Yeah. There's got to be this honesty. And it's like her own sister's words against her. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. And... I have to do a side note about this, um, the DA. So it's a Stephen Zappella Jr. And so the sisters, according to USA Today, believe that they were unfairly persecuted by this DA, who was a Democrat. Mm. And a Penn Live article, article further notes that the Zappella's family had an interest in the gambling business mm. and that Ori, as a senator, fought against expanding gambling. Additionally, USA Today explained that this guy's connected to the Kids Inc. for cash case that I covered in episode 12. Oh. Allegedly, Zappella's brother was co-owner of two of the facilities involved, but received no charges and still denies knowledge. And the Ori sisters felt that perhaps the DA was trying to have some sort of revenge. So according to um, 
the Go Erie article by Joe Mandic, Judge Ori Melvin then called for an audit. So, so he's like coming after them. They think it's because of the uh, the the gambling. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, let me do a financial audit of those two facilities on your brother. So now she's getting back at him by doing this audit. And so there's all of this bad it's blood so happening. Ridiculous. So the DA, now I do feel that the DA probably should have recused himself because he's very involved here. Maybe have the assistant DA or someone else do it because I just feel like if you're going to put that risk, like they could maybe appeal it and say, hey, he's coming after me for no, I feel like you put the case in jeopardy. Okay. Yes, if you I really want to get someone, and I agree, but the same time is you, you ladies fucked up. Oh yeah, they and oh. so like stop trying to pass the buck and be like, oh well, this isn't fair. No, the fact right. of the matter is, take responsibility that you did. Oh this horrible yeah, thing. they don't want to take well, any responsibility, but yeah. like bad thing, and you know, stop and trying take to it. Try, yes. stop trying to blame other people. Well, the other thing that they did, according to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, is the Ori sisters like talk to this guy and they kind of send him over to the DA to threaten the DA saying, Hey, if you don't drop these charges, we're going to like do this public campaign. We're going to, it's media, everything about how you're coming against us to try to pressure him Mm -mm. to, uh, so then they get in trouble for that too. They're so stupid. stupid. It's like for women that are so bright, they're so dumb. Like what the fuck? I know they need to (laughs) settle down. Yeah. So the charges, Jane was charged with 24 counts. That include illegal campaign activity, misuse of taxpayer funds, and forgery. She was found guilty of 14 counts. She was acquitted of 10 counts, the perjury and the election code violations. And she was like acquitted of some other stuff, but she ends up um, still uh, found guilty on several charges. Joan was charged with three counts of uh, theft of service, two counts of conspiracy, two counts of official oppression, one count tampering, fabricating evidence, one count misapplication of entrusted property. And she was found guilty of six counts of the felony theft of service, the misapplication of entrusted property and conspiracy to tamper with evidence. And um, Janine faced the same charges as Joan. And she was also found guilty of the same six counts. Mm. And in some reports noted that she was the political mastermind behind these two, that she was the one that was like, here's what we're going to do, sisters. Wow. Uh, and, but in court, the her attorney kind of said, no, she was the one being manipulated and just doing what her sisters told of her. Of course, that's what I would say. So <laughs> the aftermath, um, according to Keegan Gibson of political, uh, I'm sorry, of politics PA, Jane was sentenced to two and a half to 10 years in priv- prison. She served just shy of two. She got, got out on good behavior, so she served the minimum. She had to resign her seat and she lost her pension. Joan, according to Judge Pedia, was on house arrest. So mm. she got house arrest for three years. She could leave for the community service that she was assigned, which was at a soup kitchen three days a week, and she could go to church. She had to pay $55,000 in court costs. And this was a big deal. She had to, they did this like shaming sentence. Mm. And the judge took a picture of her in handcuffs. <gasps> And she had to have all the pictures printed. She had to write a letter of apology and send that with the photo of her in handcuffs to every judge in the state of Pennsylvania, which was 500 judges. And later a court ruled that the photograph was excessive. So they, and they said it was just embarrassing, but they were like, the judge was like, you need, if this is sending a message to all the judges, like if you do something like that, look at what's going to happen. Yes. So, but she did appeal and they took the picture out, but she still had to write the letter. I think that's a good idea. I like it. Um, And she wrote in her resignation letter, it is my fervent hope that my service over the past three decades will not be tainted by the circumstances surrounding my departure. Mm. I mean, that's 30 years of work. She built herself up and like, just get a volunteer team. Wow. It's such it's, a shame. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah. And then the sister Janine just was sentenced to one year of house arrest and probation. Poor Janine. I feel like Janine's like this, you know. <laughs> but she's still one year house arrest. And I was like, well, why would she get less? Why would she get less than Joan? But maybe because Joan is a Supreme Court justice mm-hmm. and she's just an aide that the yeah. level there is a little different. So a couple points of interest, according to her wiki page, um, in 2003, Joan tried to sue a blogger that went by the handle Grant Street 99, who presented allegations about misconduct against Joan. The blogger was anonymous and their work ended up being protected under the First Amendment. So she had to drop the lawsuit because he was like putting stuff about all the bad stuff that she was wow. doing and he was upset. She was upset. 
And the other thing that I thought was really funny is USA Today noted that Joan and Jane paid a medium in quote, angel lady psychic, $85 an hour to somehow avoid criminal charges. So the irony for me here that instead of getting support from the sort of guardian angel, they get screwed by a bevy of nuns because it was the letter <laughs> that like started everything. Yes. But that's the story oh, of the unscrupulous sisters three, oh, Jane, Joan, and Janine. I love it. Can you believe that? No. The I, whole family again, destroyed. Yeah. Destroyed. Just imagine those parents are so proud and then all of a sudden it's like, duh, shitville. Yeah. Fuck. It's like, goodbye. Like all their whole career is over. But like, can't you delegate to a totally different crew of people? Like, that's, I feel that, like I don't understand you have that. a have a volunteer team and then go back to your team. Like, people come out and help during elections. Of course, I mean, but they were like take, trying to do the easy way. Wow, and that's what happens. And that they're uh, sitting n- number one. They all went to law. Yeah. I don't know about the third, but the two of them went to law school. They were attorneys. One is a judge. One was a house rep. One was a no, senator. They know. They know. Of course, the how law. elections work and yes. how the law works. Of Give course. me a break. Oh, Tina, the hell. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Thank you so much. Yes. I will see you next week. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty. Coming up next week on the Muck Podcast. She, she moves to Sweden, but this is where she starts to see outside of the united states how women are treated how women the gender is not an issue excuse me in any kind of way <laughs> doesn't it, it does you know so she's she she was going along to get along right she was just yeah. like okay I'm, i can't get that clerkship like she was just like i'll keep working she never thought that i this is something you that i should have no matter what she just right. thought this is what it's like right she oh thank it. goodness yeah it's just so interesting uh the process so why should they, as a company, have to pay for someone so, else's reproduction? This is this is like, so I, I can't, prevention. Even when it happened, I lost my mind. I'm just sitting it's here just, looking at I you know. saying this, and I'm losing my fucking mind. I know these are women who do not belong to you. They don't. They work for your company. Yes. They earn a paycheck and they go about their home and their yes. they pay taxes. They raise their children. Yes. They maybe they don't have children and they separation live separation of church and state. It's none of your fucking business. God. What's happening with their bodies? They they are an employee. They're not your daughter. They're not your niece. They're not your and your, even if they were your daughter, your, it's not your business. Yeah, it's not your, 